Uh, welcome to the newcomers. I'm glad you're here. My name is Susan, and I am a marijuana addict in recovery from Washington State. My clean date is November 27, 2017. So today, I have 1,534 days, or four years, two months, and 12 days free for marijuana. I didn't do this alone. These phone lines have been a huge part of my recovery. I am so grateful to be able to call into any of our 32 meetings throughout the week and listen to fellow addicts share their experience, strength, and hope. Each time I do this, I'm guaranteed to hear just what I need to hear by giving the person sharing my full attention and really listening. I like that we don't cross-talk so I'm not distracted about how I'm going to try to help them. <laughs> it's one of my character defects, you know. So tonight I'm hoping to share um, a little bit about my marijuana use, how I started to work the steps, and where I am now. I'd like to begin by reading a version of the serenity prayer that was shared in one of the Women in Recovery phone meetings. Higher power, please grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing perfectly. The courage to forgive myself because I'm working on doing better. And the wisdom to know that you already love me just the way I am. Marijuana started to be a problem for me in the 90s. Um, I'd smoked recreationally throughout my life having tried it um, for the first time as a teenager back in the 70s. And uh, I, um, I don't know if you, um, well, for the people on the line that recall that, you know, that was the weed that was all stems and seeds. You know, the THC content um, wasn't very high, and you could actually smoke quite a few joints before you even felt it sometimes. Um, in 1990, I moved, jumping ahead, in 1990, I moved to Wyoming, and I started to seek out friends who smoked pot. And this is question four of the 12 questions of Marijuana Anonymous. Do you find that your friends are determined by your marijuana use? I was married for the second time with an eight-year-old son from my first marriage, um, my husband didn't smoke, nor he, did he like me to get high, um, even though it was kind of ironic because in his youth, he had lived on a commune in Oregon and actually grown it and sold it and everything. But, you know, that, that wasn't part of his life anymore, and he didn't really have any um, tolerance for me doing it. So, so uh, I did my errands, you know, I would go out and uh, be gone somewhere and say I needed to, um, you know, be away for a while. And then I would do a stopover at one of my pot smoking friends' houses. And in the beginning um, with him, I didn't have my own stash, nor did I smoke at home. So as my dependence progressed, these visits with my pot-smoking friends became more and more necessary in my life. Um, a few years later, my smoking became a real point of contention between my husband and I. And this relates to question number 12. 
have your friends or relatives ever complain that you're using is damaging your relationship with them. Fast forward 10 years, we're now in 2002, and I have two sons now. The youngest is seven, and I'm going through a divorce. And it wasn't just for pot, there was other issues. Um, but one reason um, was that I was lying to my husband about my smoking. Um, you know, by this time I had my own pot and I would say that I hadn't been smoking, but he knew that I had, you know, you, I mean, we think that, oh, they can't smell it. I put lotion on or I used mouthwash, but you know, that's, that's only our, you know, illusion of reality. (laughs) So, um, by this, uh, so, um, He, and I continually failed to keep my promises I made about cutting down or controlling my use of marijuana, which is question eight. After my husband moved out, we got divorced. Um, my smoking became full bore, though I didn't smoke in front of my kids. What I did was to leave them on their own and go to my bedroom and get high alone, which is question number two. I thought I was being so tricky by blowing it out the window so they wouldn't smell it. (laughs) Um, I would choose to get high and numb out rather than be available to them and interact. And in hindsight, you know, I didn't spend a lot of quality time with my kids during that first year after my divorce due to my marijuana use and being high all the time. And as a mother, that's a hard thing to swallow, you know, especially looking back at it. Um, Years later, my younger son, another um, incident was um, my younger son, who was a teenager by then, went out to my truck to get his backpack, and he found my cleaning box for my pot under the driver's seat. And, uh, you know, again, that pot had a lot of stems and seeds in it, so you actually had to, you know, separate it. And when he told me that he, what he had found, I totally minimized it. You know, I, say, I said to him that, oh, I just smoke once in a while when I was feeling stressed. And that's question number six. Do you smoke pot to cope with your feelings? At this point, I was very still far away from identifying myself as a marijuana addict or trying to imagine a life without marijuana, which is question number three. Jump ahead a few more years, and now I'm an empty nester. My older son is off on his own, and my younger one is in college. Oh, I had lots of time and space to smoke pot now. Nobody's going to catch me. You know, I didn't have to hide it. I could be high. And, but when my stash is nearly empty or was nearly empty, I felt anxious or worried about how to get more, which is question number 10. I was living in Sheridan, Wyoming then. I was caring for my dad, who was in his final years of his life, dealing with Parkinson's disease and I had actually left my home um, in Lander, Wyoming, where I owned a home, and I rented it out so I could go to Sheridan to take care of him. And um, 
I would drive 10 hours, five hours each way to Fort Collins, Colorado, whenever I was close to running out and buy as much pot as I could, which was half an ounce back in the day for us out-of-staters. And sometimes I would stay overnight at a hotel so I could buy another half ounce before driving home. At this point, I was planning my life around my marijuana use, which is question 11. Did I see this as a problem? Not really. Um, I mean, I was caring for a dying parent, right? I was holding down a job and living away from my home and functioning on a day-to-day basis. I thought I deserved a time out to avoid dealing with all my problems. Question number five. Do you use marijuana to avoid dealing with your problems? And along with all of this, um, at the same time, my older son was in active alcohol addiction. Um, He was living in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I had become involved with the Al-Anon program, another 12-step program. And this was my first experience working the 12 steps, and it was a total lifesaver for me. Um, I found a local group, and I attended weekly meetings. I got a sponsor, and I began to understand that I had no control over other people, places, or things. And no matter how much I loved my son, I couldn't fix him. I'd learned the three C's. I can't control it. I can't cure it. Nor did I cause it. But the latter was a really tough one for me to believe as he grew up with me smoking pot most of his life. You know, maybe if I would have spent more time with him and less time getting high (laughs) and been more aware of his early use and seeing the signs, he wouldn't be where he was at. But unfortunately for me, I hadn't shared this with my Al-Anon group about my dependence on marijuana. See, I had a problem being honest, being admitting who I really am and was. So I had to live with this guilt and shame on my own. And at one point, I went eight months without hearing from my son. I didn't know where he was, even if he was alive. And needless to say, My marijuana use was at a peak at this point. So question number seven, does your marijuana use let you live in a privately defined world? But my saving grace was that I had an understanding of the steps and a strong connection to my higher power. And in my Al-Anon days, um, I had a sponsor and and they asked me to, you know, define my higher power. And this is from my book, Courage to Change, um, opening it up. Um, qualities of my higher power. Forgiving, loving, smart, strong, understanding, peaceful, omnipotent, kind, open, flexible, really cares and loves me non-judgmental, funny, wise, gentle, all-knowing, 
intuitive, life coach, and a healer. I didn't really have a, and I don't have a, a religious kind of idea of my higher power. My higher power these days actually is nature and the environment. And I live in a beautiful place in Washington, and I find often that bald eagles are carry that sense of power and omnipotence in my life. Um, so at the time, I wasn't using the program to recover from my marijuana, yet I was leaning into the principles and my Al-Anon fellows to deal with my son's alcoholism. Uh, on July 4th, 2017, so I was vacationing up in northern Minnesota when I received a call from an ER doctor um, at the Flagstaff Hospital where my son had moved to. And he'd arrived by ambulance and was in intensive care. He was severely dehydrated and several of his organs were malfunctioning. Is he going to make it? I asked. Well, he's not going to die tonight, but you better get on the plane as soon as you can, the doc said. So I jumped, I drove to Minneapolis, jumped on the plane, and flew to Flagstaff. And I saw him lying in the hospital bed. Oh, and he looked so bad and horrible and sickly. He'd lost 60 pounds since the last time I saw him. I mean, this guy was 6'2". And when, you know, when he was there, he was like 125. He was jaundiced. His face had broken out. There were capillaries everywhere. And the nurse said that he couldn't even walk on his own. So I stayed in Flagstaff for the next week. Um, I didn't have any pot. I didn't fly with it. Um, Arizona at the time wasn't legal and it was actually the first time um, that I'd gone a week without smoking pot in probably 15-20 years so granted I was distracted by my son's condition and what the future might look like for him but but I found myself able to deal with the problem rather than run away from it and pretend that it didn't exist like I did with using pot for so many years. And I felt like my higher power was there with me every step of the way. And at that point, I really came to believe that my son also had his own higher power who was looking after him and had his best interest in mind. So at the same time that I was in Flagstaff, I had a job interview by phone with a school that I'd applied to in Washington State. So since my father passed away on Christmas Eve in 2016, I was making plans to leave Wyoming and move to Washington. Um, I had been taking care of people all my life. You know, I took care of my kids. And I had took care of my mom when she was sick. My parents were divorced when I was young. So took care of her, took care of her husband, <laughs> took care of my dad. And now finally, you know, Susan was going to 
break off and do something that I wanted to. Um, one of the stipulations of working at this school would be passing a pre-employment drug screen and then agreeing to random testing after that. Well, to make a long story short, everything worked out for a time. Um, my son's health and mobility improved. He ended up going to treatment a second time and has been sober for five and a half years. Um, as for me, I was offered the job in Washington, and but now had to stop smoking pot for at least a month in order to pass the drug screen scheduled for August 15th. In my addicted brain, I only had to put it down until my test. There was no way I was going to quit forever. I mean, really, I was moving to a state where marijuana was legal. <laughs> um, at the end of July, I loaded all my belongings into a U-Haul, a U-Haul, sorry, and ended up in Birch Bay, a picturesque town about 10 minutes from the Canadian border. It was really hard not to smoke pot during this time. Um, I didn't know about MA, didn't, you know, call in anywhere. I just white-knuckled it, you know, sheer willpower. It was, you know, I got to pass the drug test. I can do this, you know. I bought some drug testing kits over the Internet beforehand so I could gauge if I'd be clean. I also took those flushing, those cleansing products that they sell. And in my mind, you know, I thought, I got this beat, you know, I thought to myself. Well, I did pass the drug screen on August 15th. But as I drove away from the testing facility, I was already smoking again in my truck on the way home. Conveniently putting aside the fact that random testing wouldn't happen to me. No way, you know. I mean, I did this hard thing. You know, I was done. Until it did. Six weeks after school started, I heard on the intercom, all the employees are requested to come down and do a drug screen. You know, you got to do this before the end of the day. So... I panicked. I totally panicked. I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I loved this job. You know, I loved what I was doing. I loved my fellow, my, my coworkers, the kids. I, you know, I was in this new place. I mean, everything was like, you know, going my way, you know. But um, But I was negligent of the fact that this, might be a possibility. I didn't want to believe it. So despite the fact I was doing a great job, was well-liked by my colleagues, um, on October 31st, the same day my positive test came back, I was escorted out of the building by my principal. I didn't have a chance to say goodbye to anyone. I was just gone. My principal said on the way out that he was so sorry, you know, and he said that I could reapply in three months, provided that 
I do outpatient treatment and, of course, pass a drug screen. So that was my bottom in my marijuana experience, um, the low point. Not only did I lose my source of income, I felt humiliated and miserable. It was so bad. It was, it was just really bad. So although I planned on reapplying as soon as possible, I decided to lick my wounds and uh, feel sorry for yourself, period, lasted until November 26, 2017, when I smoked marijuana for the last time. Finding Marijuana Anonymous and the phone lines has been an amazing life changer for me. Being in recovery has provided an opportunity to really get to know myself. Um, I had been avoiding the simple but not easy task of addressing my marijuana addiction so I can live a life that is truly joyous and free. Thanks to these past four years of being clean and working the program with the help of other addicts and a wonderful sponsor, I have experienced a spiritual awakening and I continue to practice the principles of the program in all my affairs each and every day. Um, Just recently, I decided to look for another sponsor. Um, She'd been with me since not day one, but um, for a long time. Um, Our story is interesting. I had asked like five people, I think, before, you know, I finally found somebody to say, yes, I'll do it temporarily. And it ended up that she took me on full time and worked with me for four years. And I have so much gratitude for this woman who walked with me those first four years of sobriety. She's so wise and kind and understanding and she she asked me really hard questions and she asked me to do things that, you know, sometimes I don't want to do and unfortunately, recently, I kind of had been unwilling to do and so um, she asked me to do this step 10 Um, reflection and a daily reflection and to send it to her and unfortunately I I let other things take priority and I didn't do it and I would rationalize it and say oh you know and and try to give excuses and you know she totally caught me and she you know, she busted me and said, you know, you got to be willing to do it. You know, you got to be willing to do what your sponsor asks. And so I feel like, I mean, I mean, we're good and we love each other. And, you know, I know that she's going to be in my court and she's my sober sister, but I need, I need accountability. You know, I need to have that. Um, And she took me through the steps and the traditions She also encouraged me and counseled me as I started to sponsor people. And and so being able to work the steps with a new sponsee 
and I've had, you know, a, more than a handful of, of sponsees um, since I've been clean. Um, it's just such a gift. So um, I know it's important that I have a sponsor myself and if I'm sponsoring other people. So I'm hoping to find another one soon. Um, if you're hearing this tonight and are available for sponsorship, I would really appreciate you reaching out. Um, you know, I know I, I want to continue to work my program well in order to learn more about myself as well as be of service to others. MA has so many awesome resources to support my recovery. When I first started in the program, I went to the annual three-day MA convention for two years in a row. The first one was in Seattle in 2018, about a two-hour drive from where I live. And in 2019, it was in Vancouver, British Columbia, a little over an hour away. So I highly recommend everyone to attend the annual convention if you can. Um, this year, um, it's in San Diego. Um, another, another couple of great resources, if you don't know about them, um, or if you do, just check them out further, are marijuana-anonymous.org and ma-phone.org. They're packed with literature, an amazing meeting finder tool, upcoming events, um, just to name a few. Um, I recently started to serve on the MA World Services Correspondence Committee. And there are two things that I wanted to mention. Uh, first, um, there's a steps one through three workshop that will take place on Zoom on March 6th. And during the workshop, the first three steps will be introduced by having sponsors share how they work these steps. Then participants will meet in smaller groups to form fellowship connections, share and discuss the selected prompts from the MA step workbook. And I'm going to be reading step three and then facilitating one of the breakout groups. And uh, the second thing is that under the tab on Marijuana-Anonymous, um, how it works, uh, there's a section called sponsorship. And this is where you can sign up if you're willing to be a remote sponsor or looking for a sponsor. And so, excuse me, what my role is now is specifically is trying to contact people who are looking for a sponsor and see how I can assist them in their search. And sometimes it's sharing ways to find a sponsor, like telling them about the phone lines, for example, if they only attend Zoom or in-person meetings, or maybe how your chances might increase if you announce at a meeting that you're looking for a sponsor or maybe teaching them how to use the meeting finder. Um, I think there are way more, many, more people looking for a sponsor than those willing to be a sponsor, so I always encourage people to be active in their search. Um, another wonderful MA resource is our MA speaker tapes. And I feel so fortunate and grateful to be on the service committee that was responsible for getting these speaker tapes off the ground. And my fellow committee members, hands up to you, Heishka. 
Um, right now, there are 100, I just looked today, there are 184 episodes to choose from. <laughs> um, and that's crazy. Um, and not only are there just speaker tapes, but they're like readings of the steps and different um, topics. And yeah, there's just a whole slew of things. Um, the recording of the first time I shared on Saturday Night Live from January 11th, 2019, ooh, over two years ago, um, is also on the uh, on there. Um, and so to access it, just go to your favorite podcast server and search for MA Speaker Tapes. Well, looking at the time, and um, I'm going to wrap things up here. Um, Thank you so much for allowing me to share my story and be with you all tonight. We work our program for ourselves, not by ourselves. There is no way that I would be where I am today if it wasn't for all of you. And although I feel grounded in my recovery at this moment, I know that I'm a marijuana addict and I will be for the rest of my life. There is no magic potion to fix my addiction. I will never be cured, but that's okay. Um, in May 2020, I received the first of two total knee replacements, the second one coming seven weeks after the first. I'd been dealing with lots of pain and had very limited physical ability for several years. This was such a tough predicament for me as I'd always been very active, rollerblading, hiking, running, kayaking, going to the gym. But now I was bone on bone with both knees. My orthopedic surgeon here in Washington was, <laughs> he was, he was really surprised by, at how active I was um, given my condition. So the surgeries were successful, and my bionic parts are sturdy and unwavering. But in order for me to return to doing the physical things I like doing, I had to be willing and committed to do the hard work of rehabilitation and keep moving every day. And I think the same is true with my marijuana addiction. I can stop using marijuana, but unless I'm willing to do whatever it takes, put my recovery first and trust in my higher power, I won't be at operating at full strength and getting the most of what life has to offer. Hi, Shka. Thanks all for being here. Merci beaucoup.